Today's episode of Wizards After Dark is brought to you by Game Time. Okay guys, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Wizards tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in just two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Welcome back, New Wizards After Dark. I didn't podcast after that dreadful Minnesota loss when the Wizards lost by 22 on Saturday at home, and the defense looked like well, like it like it looked in the previous game against Houston, but the offense didn't look quite as fun, and they got killed. And so I'm doing it tonight because I'm all about positive vibes. So it's uh, tonight. In actuality, I'm just doing it because it's a weekday, and that's pretty much when the post game shows are going to be now, just weekdays. And I'm doing it after a Wizards win, second win of the season. They're 2-4 and four now. They beat the Pistons tonight, 115-99. to 99. Uh, I am in the comfort of my own home right now, but on the Skype line, I have a man who did not come to D.C. Uh, to quote him, he said, if I want to see Christian Wood, I'll just buy some of Jesus' carpentry. He's, uh, <laughs> he covers, covers the, the Pistons. James Edwards from The Athletic. Fred, I, I, I'm absolutely just in a, in a rut. I'm sad because I did not get to hear this humor in person. I did not get to see you. As you know, we don't really do game stories, and the Pistons have a ton of one-offs uh, through the calendar of 2019, and tonight in Washington was one of them. Uh, so I did not make the trip. I love D.C. I love my Annie's food in D.C., but most importantly, I love my Fred Katz. I love my Candace Buckner. So that was it was tough not to make it. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was tough not to see this uh, phenomenal effort from the Tim Frazier-less, Derek Rose-less, Reggie Jackson-less, Blake Griffin-less Pistons. Yeah, it's uh, not having to go into the locker room after after that one is probably better. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're not going to associate you with that game. Uh, before we get into the game, just a couple things I just wanted to mention. Um, like I have alluded to on previous podcasts, if you're listening to this on the iTunes stream, I don't remember if I said my name. You know, I always forget to introduce myself, which is like the number one way you can <laughs> tell that I'm not a pro at this. I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I'm the host of Wizards After Dark. And as I've said on some previous episodes... Now that Wizards After Dark is part of the athletic, you're going to get most you're going to be able to get most of the episodes on iTunes like you've been getting all along and wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts, but there are going to be bonus episodes available on the athletic. Now you can sign up for the athletic if you're not a subscriber now and you're a listener of the show and you want those episodes. I did the first subscription only episode on Friday, and I had Justin Kutcher, who is now the play-by-play man for the Wizards. I had him on. We talked for like 45, 50 minutes. I was really happy with how that episode turned out. Uh, if I were a Wizards fan, I would want to listen to it because it's a really good way to get to know him away from the mic. And we just kind of, we just kind of, just kind of messed around for like 50 minutes and we talked a little bit of wizards but it was really like get to know him we were talking about play-by-play i i love play-by-play stuff i wanted to do that when i was growing up and i thought that was a really good episode and uh it'll be really good for wizards if you do want to sign up for wizards after dark so you can get the bonus episodes sign up for the athletic you don't just get wizards after dark on there you get all the athletic it's a real athletic subscription this just comes with it but you can go to the athletic.com slash wizards after dark and you can get 40% off on an annual subscription. So theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark, and you can get all that there. Um, if you want to just dip your toe in the water, at the end of this episode, I'm going to put uh, Splice in kind of the beginning 8 to 10 minutes or so of my interview with Justin so you can get a feel of that and and see what you think and then maybe sign up. Later this week, there's going to be another post-game episode. That's going to be behind the paywall in all likelihood, too. So every once in a while, a a, uh, a post-game episode is going to make it on there. Anyway, let's talk 
Wizards Pistons. Oh God! Game of the year. All right. There, there are a few. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do choose your own adventure. <laughs> All right. Here, yeah. here are the options. This is. Tell me what we're talking about first. We can talk about Isaiah Thomas making his first start in a year and a half. Okay. We can talk about Troy Brown's first career double double. We can talk about. We can talk about Andre Drummond grabbing 24 rebounds and yet not really having it feel like he dominated to the full effect that he could have. Yeah. Uh, we can talk about the Wizards going from just appalling defensive performances against Houston, in which they gave up 159 points, and Minnesota, in which they gave up 131 points, 290 points allowed over two games, and had like a 128 defensive rating during that time, which is awful, by the way. Uh, yes. And coming out... And granted, a team that was really missing everybody, but but defending a lot better, communicating a lot better. Uh, we can talk about the Ish Smith revenge game. We can talk about the Markeith Morris revenge game. What do you want? Uh, so many great things to choose from. Um, let's let's start at the top. Let's go, Isaiah. It's your it's your show. I'm I'm here to um, obviously talk Wizards basketball. Let's start there for your listeners. Yeah, let's go, Isaiah. Uh, didn't play great. No, he did not. It was his worst game so far. One of the things that I really wonder about him starting, he's kind of sliced up reserves offensively and has shot well and been able to score and kind of has been – his style as a reserve in these three games where he's come off the bench has been everything when I'm in the game pretty much is going to be a shot or it's going to be a pass into a shot, and that's pretty much it. It's a no, lot that, harder for him to play like that with the starters. He didn't look as great, but it is very cool to see Isaiah Thomas, after all that he's been through, back in a starting lineup, I think. No, and it's funny, too, because you can kind of compare this Isaiah Thomas trek that the fans in Washington are paying attention to to what's going on with in Detroit with Derrick Rose. And it, it's kind of funny, like you said, when a guy is coming off the bench, his numbers are great, and then as soon as he gets with the starting units and plays against other starters, the numbers drop. Like, that's what happens in most cases. Um, Isaiah Thomas is probably at this point in his career a, a bench player and a well above average bench player, and that's probably where they're going to get the best out of him. Um, obviously, some nights you play against teams that have weaker starting point guards, and it and, and it works out. But it, same thing kind of with Derrick Rose. Everybody thinks Derrick Rose is – people not in Detroit think there's going to be a time when Derrick Rose starts. It's not going to happen. The minutes, um, he's made kind of a resurrection in his career from eating up other teams' benches. You could look from New York to Minnesota and here in Detroit. His numbers are because he's going against other teams' second units for the most part. Um, and with Isaiah, you imagine it's probably the same thing. He's he's at a point in his career where the bench guys, he's, he's well above average. He can get his shot off there. He can be the focal point of the offense there. Uh, but when he's with the starters, that's Bradley Beal's show. Um, I really like Rui. Um, like it's it's a whole different ball game, and you're not going to get the same kind of effect when you make that transition. Yeah, and and to even take that a step further, I think a lot of people when a guy goes to the first unit, uh, people say, well, the numbers of if the numbers sustain. If they're a ball dominant guard specifically, people say, well, the numbers sustain. Like Derrick Rose with the Knicks had pretty good counting numbers. And people say, yeah. well, the numbers sustain. But that's not really what it is. No. What, it, what it is is if, you, if you've got Isaiah Thomas, in order to utilize him best, he needs to have the ball in his hands. 100%. So the, and then you need to ask the ensuing question, which is, but is the Wizards' offense best when he has the ball in his hands? Because it's not just what's best for Isaiah Thomas. It's is what's best for Isaiah Thomas best for the Wizards. Now, what we've seen so far with the reserves is that what's best for the Wizards reserves might just be giving the putting the ball in Isaiah's hands. And that's great. Yeah. That yeah. that's that means you have a compatible fit. And so far, offensively, that's been the case. The reserves have been pretty good offensively. Isaiah Thomas has been making his shots. And if he's going to make his shots and he's going to be a good jump shooter, I don't know if he's ever going to get to the line at the efficiency he did in the past. He was part of the reason he became an MVP candidate in, in 2017 was because he was so great around the rim and got to the line so much. 
Yeah, 100%. Like he was unbelievable there, and I don't know if that's ever going to happen because he just doesn't have the quickness that he did. But if he is is this good of a jump shooter and is able to just kind of craftily score, he can do that in second units. Now, is your first unit going to be best off putting the ball in his hands? That remains to be seen. But he has been better than I expected so far. Like he's he's scoring, he's facilitating okay. Uh, he didn't look great tonight, but you know what? It's not like the the first unit looked looked terrible or anything like that. I thought he flowed pretty well with Beal, who who played pretty nicely and and ended up handling the ball more. Uh, Rui only played 16 minutes because of foul trouble and also because CJ Miles came back and Brooks wanted to get him minutes and then. Yeah, Berton's in that rotation, and Troy Brown ends up playing 31. Uh, but Rui, when he was on the floor, I thought played well. He came out really aggressive at the start of the game. It's not like he totally mucked up the offense. I, I don't have a problem with Scott Brooks going to going to that starting unit, if only because like Isaiah Thomas might be a better off-ball option as well than Ish Smith because Isaiah Thomas is someone that guys are going to guard on the three-point line when guys sag off of Ish Smith. So when Bradley Beal has the ball, now you got an extra extra shooter out there who can catch and shoot and legitimately be a threat that defenses are going to acknowledge. So I have absolutely no problem with that move from Scott Brooks. And it's like, what do you have to lose? Take that risk. There's there's certainly upside to it. Um, And so I I wasn't shocked by it, and I, I have absolutely no no issue with it at all, and I'm sure the Wizards will continue to do it a- until they, uh, you know, get some sort of sample and they can they can figure out if this is the right way to go or not. No, and it's a great point, and you can like again, I can kind of point move this over to the Pistons too. Isaiah, of course, it, they they didn't look bad, but the thing is, you you wonder if you're going to utilize the best of Isaiah with the starting unit. Isaiah is not a just because he's the first one that came to my mind. Key Rubio. I'm out there to get everybody involved. Isaiah Thomas is a, a, a field guy. He's a guy that's going to try to get buckets. That's what he is, and that's probably why at this point in his career he is probably best with the bench because he, he's running the show. When you're with the starters, you got to make sure Beal gets involved and Beal gets the touches. You gotta, it looks like Rui is going to be involved. So, the, yes, Isaiah probably looks fine in that instance, but are, the question is are you utilizing what Isaiah does best? And that's kind of – you can say the same thing with Luke Kennard in Detroit. I've never – since I've – I guess I never realized this until I started covering the NBA, which I'm thankful for is a lifelong dream. Like, fans lose their mind when the player they like doesn't start and they think it's the coach hates them. Luke Kennard, I mean, he's starting now because of injuries, but Luke Kennard doesn't start because Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin are in the starting unit. So what you're doing is you're if you put Luke Kennard in that group, you're basically just telling him he's a spot-up shooter because Reggie and Blake are options one and two. They're going to do the pick and roll. They're going to facilitate. They're going to do that. As you saw tonight, Fred, Luke can do much more than just spot up. He can go take you in the pick and roll. He can move around. And that's why Dwayne wants Derek and Luke in the second unit, which I would imagine if in Scott's perfect world he'd like to have Isaiah in the second unit, is because they can run the second unit. You could take turns Derek and Luke. You can have them pick and roll off ball. There's just different things you can do, and they're not kind of cluttered behind other guys. I'm interested to see what Dwayne does with Derek when Blake and Derek come back because I don't think Derek and Blake are going to – if they close games, if it's a Derek, Luke, Blake, Andre, Reggie lineup, I wonder how they're going to make that work because Derek's not a great spot-up shooter. He's not a great three-point shooter. I know he improved last year, but you're, you're still at your best when Blake has the ball. So you want to put shooters around. I'm just curious to see how that works. But just to take it back to Washington, it's, you want to make sure you utilize your players to the best of their ability. And I don't know if Isaiah, as a starter, having to play with the likes of somebody like Bradley Beal, who's so good that he needs the ball the majority of the time, that, that you're really utilizing what he does best, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, that that that's like a really interesting part of kind of lineup appropriation. To lineup appropriation, that's not the right word. Lineup uh, distribution, I should say. Uh, it, it, that's a really interesting part of it strategically to me because uh, at some point, talent and production takes over. And if you believe that Isaiah Thomas is your best point guard, then like sometimes we do overthink this. And it's like basketball doesn't have to be so complicated. It can just be, well, why don't we just put the best players out there? And yeah. so a coach has to figure out, all right, if Isaiah Thomas is in a vacuum, the best player and the best option to have at the one, 
how do I distribute his minutes so I can maximize him playing with the second unit so he can get his, so he can he can beat down on on other guys, but also get him out there so he's there for the most important times and part of the most important lineups if he's going to be one of the five best players on the Wizards. And so far, with the way that he's played in four games, I'm willing to believe that he might be one of the five best players on the Wizards. Uh, certainly one of the five best offensive players on the Wizards if he's going to play like this. So... It'll be, it'll be interesting. What do you think? You said you like Rui. I do, man. I actually wanted to ask you. So I see the tweets and everything, and read the stories like about the the Japanese media, and you covered like the Russ Westbrook KD Thunder, right? Yeah, I came in uh, the very end of KD's last year in OKC, though. So, like, is the media, like, circus around you guys now in Washington? Like, is it crazier than, like, every day? Is it crazy, like, in comparison to what you saw in OKC? Yes. It's not even close. It's so much crazier. It's every day there's dozens of people there? Correct. Every day there are dozens of just Japanese reporters. And are they, like, do they have great relationships with Rui? Is it tough for, like, you and Candace to even try to sit down and – just get to know him. Yes, it really is. It's it's been really tough, honestly. Um, I I haven't really. I I'd say that I know him worse now than any of the other guys on the team because the other guys are just easier to just kind of stop and chat. You know, like yeah. you know as well as I do, and and I don't know if the average listener would know this, but like. I have more interactions with players that are not interviews, you know, just kind of off the record. Hey, man, how's your family doing? You know, or or, oh, you saw you saw Joker. I really want to see it. What do you think? You know, just just BS like that, because they're they're people you're with in a work environment. And I've I've had fewer of those interactions with Rui than I have any other player because he's always being surrounded. Uh, I don't know if if. if the foreign media members have necessarily a better relationship, to be honest, because there are just so many people. I think Rui is already at a point where he is so uh, – most rookies come in, and they're not just raw on the court, right? They're almost raw with, with us. Yeah, you know, with you everything. Can, yeah. You can tell they're not jaded yet for the most part. And and you can feel like you're talking to a 19 to 20, 21 year old. Even someone like Troy Brown, who is so mature, and you would never think would be 20 years old, if you had a phone conversation with him and you couldn't see his face and tell that he was 20. You know? Yeah. Uh, even him, it's like there are certain ways that you interact with him. And you're like he's 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 just he's just 20. Not because he says anything immature or anything. It's just like he, he doesn't have that jaded thing where he'll, he'll brush off media or anything like that. That hasn't, that callus hasn't developed yet. Uh, and, and with Rui, I think he's just been surrounded by so much media for such a long time. He's one of the rare rookies who's come in with the callus already there. And I don't mean that as if he's like, uh, like standoffish or anything. Right. He just kind of, already approaches this like a vet. He comes in, he talks a lot. He talks more than any other like he talks more than any other player. He so he, cool. he does he does English, he does questions in English and then he does questions in Japanese. Uh, but some of the scrums, he has to do scrums outside of the locker room after games, which is so rare and it's just because of literal space constraints. You just can't have that many people in the locker room. Yeah, and it's hard for me sometimes to get into the scrums because I just physically, I wingspan is very difficult. <laughs> like I, I Jay Billis has not lauded my reporter wingspan. If I went to the combine for reporters, they'd be like, he's going to struggle in big scrums. <laughs> he cannot get the pass off in traffic. He needs to stop with the jump passes. His arms aren't long enough. Yeah, exactly. And so like that, that makes it. It just, it's just a different experience than anything I've had as a reporter because of the amount of media that follows him around. But from what I've been told, it's it's the same thing uh, with, like, Ichiro was like that in Seattle and Hideki Matsui was like that with the Yankees. And, and, and from what I hear, it's just kind of – it's like that with, uh, you know, Japanese stars. And here's the thing. I was wondering coming in, like, is this going to get awkward if he's not good? 
If he's not good and he ends up not playing or he plays 12 minutes a game and he and he looks terrible and the questions are every day, why isn't he playing anymore, but he's shooting 30% from the field, is this going to get uncomfortable? Yeah. Turns out he's really talented and he totally belongs. And that totally changes so, yeah. the dynamic. But it also means that he's just going to have to deal with this for the next 15 years of his life because if he does what he's capable of doing in the NBA, this is only going to get bigger. Yeah, I was going to say it's only going to get more chaotic. Yeah. What do you think of his game? I really like it, man. I liked him coming into the draft. I, I didn't think he would fall to the Pistons at 15, but if he did, I thought that'd be a good pick. Just kind of what we're talking about. I, I liked his the rawness. I liked his size. Um, and then he, he's marketable. Like We just talked about it for five minutes. There's going to be massive media around him. Um, it's going to be a, a guy you can sell if he ends up being good. Uh, you can bring a whole new fan base, a whole new country into your into your fan base. Um, but on the court, man, I, he was strong. Uh, the jumpers looks like it's coming along. He seems like he, his his instincts are very good. He seems like he knows where to be at the right times. He he, he plays off Beal well. Um, he he just kind of flows on the court and the, and hits the right spots. And I always look for feel with young players. Like, do they are can they already show that they know what they're doing? Can they show that they that they, if the numbers aren't there, but can they put themselves in a position to be successful? And he seems like he's doing that. I don't know. I haven't watched every game every minute. That I mean, honestly, I've outside of tonight, I maybe watched ten minutes of the of the Wizards. I just read you, and that's how I stay up. But am I right on that? Is this feel as as good as it seems? Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because that was one of the knocks on him. But but offensively, like he really looks like he belongs. You know what was I thought super encouraging tonight. So he played his worst game on Saturday against Minnesota. I'm getting that right, right? It was Saturday. Yeah. Saturday against Minnesota, he plays his worst game. And Four points, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and part of the reason is that Minnesota was kind of swarming him a little bit, and it was the first time in the NBA he'd been like that. Now, he's had that happen to him before at high levels of basketball. If you watch FIBA, you watch them play the Czech Republic or you watch Japan play the U.S., they just swarmed him, and and he really struggled in both of those games. Now, of course he did. He had never played an NBA game, and he's going up against Team USA and getting, like, triple teamed. Of with course, no yeah, with no other players his you know, of his ability. You know, like, his, his best player is, like, Nick Fizikas. <laughs> yeah, right. I forgot you know? about Fizikas, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> and so, and so, like that's what that's that's kind of his experience in that. And Scott Brooks talked about it a little bit. That like he talked to him after that performance and on, at practice on Sunday. There are times where he was going up in the rim and he's trying to lay it in and he's getting blocked. And Scott's like, "No, you are athletic enough. Go up strong and be aggressive. You got to finish through contact. You're exposing the ball too much when you're going to the rim." Finish through contact and right away tonight. And one thing that Scott Brooks has constantly said about him, and not just Scott, other coaches, Bradley Beal has said this, he hears information and he retains it, and he you don't have to tell him something twice because he's very smart. And tonight he comes out just – he only played 16 minutes, but he comes out wildly aggressive. Like he is shooting, he's scoring, he finishes through a foul. It – it's it's like you can see him learning from what happened on Saturday. And to me, that is extremely encouraging. And I think he's good. Uh, but that is that is really encouraging because if you see, all right, if a rookie messes up, that's fine. Rookies mess up. That's what they do. They're rookies. It's completely excusable. What you don't want – is for rookies to make mistakes and then repeat those mistakes over and over again. Now, that doesn't mean they have to come back in the very next game and do things that make you think, oh, he learned from that. But at some point, I've talked about incremental improvement with him a lot. At some point, you want to see that something, that there was a switch made. And tonight, you kind of saw, oh, you know what? He learned something from that. And he'll probably go back and have another bad game soon in a similar fashion because that's what happens. But you can tell he's already learning from his mistakes. And that's like that's great for the Wizards to see. Yeah. No, I I, I was impressed with the kid. Uh, like I said, he, he just looks like he knows what he's doing out there. The physical gifts are apparent. Um, 
he looks like he knows he belongs. And once the rest catches up with that mindset, that's, I mean, that's when you get the stars. You know what I mean? Pistons could use Blake Griffin so, so much. I mean, anyone yes. could use Blake Griffin, but man, yes, the Pistons. They could. I don't, I, they, he gets reevaluated Wednesday, uh, per our colleague and coworker Shams. Um, but they want to be, they want to be as uh, cautious as possible with him. I mean, they're staying afloat right now, three and five. Uh, they're about four missed free throws and four turnovers away from probably being four and four, six and wait, six and two. Having a winning record, I can't do math right now. It's Wizards after dark. Um, <laughs> and yeah, is, no, that, is that a time to you, Wizards after dark? Well, right now it's literally we could record this at. 5:30 and it would be Wizards After Dark. So I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of all out of it right now. But it is a time, it is a mindset, Wizards After Dark, and I'm just going to babble through this because it just kind of fits the whole thing. <laughs> Don't you hate when the when when we get the hour back? Isn't that I hate it? I, oh. Yeah, I like the sleep though. It does feel good for like two days. I know, but like sundown at 5 p.m. is rough. It's so. It's so depressing. It's And our job is so weird. It's like we're off the perfect time. Summers, like, I mean, we're not off, but you know what I mean. We're not doing stuff every single day, and it's yes. we get to enjoy the beautiful weather. You're on the East Coast. Midwest is pretty much the same weather. It's it's beautiful. And then when we start getting into the grind, like the mental grind, the mental stress of our job, it's the worst type of weather in the world. And it's just absolutely, it's such a 180 from when you get, you really get to relax. The weather is relaxing. Your workload's relaxing. It's, it's perfect. But when it's time to get in that grind, like it's the grind of all grinds because of <laughs> the weather and, and all that stuff, man. It's, it, it's really, it's kind of crazy. I know. It's true. It's nice though. Like I would rather do that than a baseball writer schedule and then have the winners when we have to take vacation. I could never cover baseball, man. You have to get to the ballpark at three. You don't leave till two if you're right on deadline. Like you can't have a family. It's I uh, I respect those guys because I could never do that. It's so hard. Did you cover baseball? No, no. I'm I'm with you. Yeah, I could. I could. I I love baseball. You love baseball. Right? Yeah, I'm a Yankee fan. Yeah, you're a Yankee. That's right. Yeah, I love baseball. I also don't want to lose my fandom. No, I get it. Like, you lose your fandom when you do this job, and I don't want to lose it. Like, I've lost it for the – I love the sport of basketball. Um, yeah. And I love my job, but I love my job in a different way than I would love, uh, you know, than I loved the Clippers when I was growing up. Hold on. Have we ever talked about this, the Clippers thing? Yeah, we have that we were both randomly Clippers. We fans. did talk. Okay, I thought we did talk about we did talk about this. Yeah, last time I saw you, I think we talked about it. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Shout out to Chris Kamen if you're listening. <laughs> Chris Kamen was <laughs> underrated. Chris so, Kamen was like a piece for Chris Paul. He had the. I will say this on record. I don't. I'll take backlash. I'm not even thinking of other names. Chris Kamen. For a right-handed player, had the best offhand of all big men that I could remember. That lefty turnaround. Oh, that lefty turnaround, like six foot hook. Every every time it was money. Uh, every Chris Kamen was an all star. Yes, Chris Kamen was a good player. I I actually got to watch Chris. People, I don't know if people know this. He went to Central Michigan, and I'm from Flint, but lived in Ypsilanti for a while. And Ypsilanti is where Eastern Michigan is. So the MAC, they're in the same division. We would get five dollar tickets front row. And go to all the Eastern games, and I saw Chris Kamen at least ten times in college while he was in college. And it, I, Chris Kamen was so underrated. So Chris Kamen was good, but I will say, the Clippers getting the sixth pick in the 2003 draft is the most Clippers thing ever. Yeah, because that was LeBron, then Darko, then yes. Melo, then Bosh, then Dwayne Wade. Yep, and they get six, and they get Chris Kamen. Who? It's yeah. See, it sucks when you put it like that because you could have obviously changed the course of your franchise sooner. But Chris Kamen was. If we redid that, would Chris Kamen still go six? I'm trying to think who went right after him. Like Kirk Heinrich. Uh, I, I got it up now. There's uh, T.J. Ford went eight. 
Heyman would still go over him. Um, and then we got Mike Sweetney, obviously, Jarvis Hayes, Michael Petrus, Nick Collison, Luke Ridenauer. Still, still take Heyman. Yeah, David West. I mean, is, you're, not, you're not taking David West at six. You can only grade a draft within who is drafted in the thing. But if we redraft, David West is is going before. Boris Diaw was that draft. Are you taking David West over Cayman if you redo it? I know he yeah, played longer. Yeah, Kendrick, Kendrick Perkins, Josh Howard, Leandro Barbosa was that draft. Oh, Maje Lampe. I forgot about the, the, the Maje Lampe trade. I have not heard that name in so long. They, I remember they I, traded him for Antonio F- McDice. Yes. Oh, Lampe. Oh, my gosh. Like, I'm just picturing my mom's garage right now, and I know that card is somewhere in, like, a box. Good second-round picks in this draft. Who was it? Luke Walton was in this draft. Jason Capono was second-rounder in this draft. Steve Blake. Kyle Corver, Willie right? Green. Kyle Corver. Zaza Pachulia. Keith Bogans. Matt Bonner. Mo Williams. James Jones. That's that a, a lot of second-rounders to stick from one draft. That's, like... 30% of the second round like had, like, legit long careers. That's a great draft. And LeBron is the only one left? Yeah. LeBron and Corver. LeBron and Corver. LeBron and Corver. Yep. Yeah, I mean, James Jones is a GM. Yeah, he is. And he had a nice career. He had a nice run. Got some ships. Played for 14 years. Yep. This is very off-topic. Let's talk about Troy Brown before we finish. Okay, let's do it. Um, played the best game I've ever seen him play tonight. He was good. I've always I've kind of in and out saw him. I've been kind of tuning into the Wizards, hoping to saw him, see him play a little bit uh, last year toward the end of the year, and I just never got around to it. But I was impressed with him today. Yeah, he was very nervous last year. He used to come into games and just not try to mess up. You don't and, want that. No, you know, but that's what I'm talking about with, like, the rookie stuff. Like, Troy Brown, if you talk to Troy Brown, you're like, holy crap, this guy's 20 years old. He could be my father. <laughs> he is – he is – it's not just – he's very, very smart. There's just not – that's not even a debate. He's very smart. But he's also just like – like, another team, not the Wizards, another team told me that he was the best pre-draft interview they've ever had. Really? Yes, and I know one of the wizard the reasons the Wizards really liked him was because he just wowed them in their pre-draft interview. Um, and he's not Kyrie smart, right? Like you said, he's actually smart. No, he's very smart. He's not like he's not fake. like fake smart. Yeah, no, he's he's actually smart, and and he he yeah he wowed this other team in their in uh, their pre-draft interview. He just kind of has that impression. And so it shows rookies are just prone to this crap. When you're a rookie and it's unfamiliar and the game is faster than you've ever played against and you are 19 years old like Troy Brown was last year, you're going to – maybe you'll be nervous. Maybe it won't just click. Uh, and that happened to Troy last year. He also didn't get a vote of confidence from his coach right away or it took a long time for him to get in the rotation. And he only kind of got in the rotation because of – they just kind of they Scott Brooks couldn't make excuses for not putting him in there anymore. And tonight, and and so far he's played three games now because he was hurt for a little bit. And in each of those games, and tonight more than any, he just kind of came out. And tonight, really more than any other time I've seen him, he was dictating pace. And yeah, I wrote about was. I wrote about this after summer league, where the one thing that I thought you could take away from Summer League with him. Where I don't like looking at Summer League numbers and taking anything away from that, or even things that depend on the opposition's play. But in Summer League, you could see, and I wrote about this, go check my my Summer League notes on on Troy Brown. And it was all about Troy is dictating pace in the pick and roll. He wasn't just calling for a screener, saying, all right, we're running pick and roll, and then taking off from the pick and roll. He was waiting yeah. for the screener to come. He was figuring out where the screen was going to be, and he was prodding. He was controlling the pace of the game, and he was doing it against worse players, many of whom also don't know how to deal with the pace in the NBA. But I thought it was a very encouraging sign for him in his second year. And tonight, he was grabbing rebounds, and he was just going. He had 14 and 10. He had four assists. 
He was looking to pass ahead. He had a great transition pass to Bongo where he threw it over the defense's head. Another yeah. great one to Bertans where he threw it over the defense's head. Um, he was dictating the pace of the game, and it was the first time I've watched him in the NBA really take control of an offense and try to dictate pace. And that's the kind of player he is going to have to be if he's going to be a successful NBA player. And I thought tonight that was a really encouraging performance on his part. No, and like I said earlier, that this was kind of the first time I watched a full game and got to watch Trevor Brown, and I saw the exact same things. I I was kind of impressed because I just not knowing too much about him. I you obviously do the draft stuff and you and you do your due diligence just in case the team cover picks him. But I guess I was kind of surprised by how he handled himself in the role and the decision making because I never really kind of thought of him as that kind of player. I thought he would maybe be like a three and D guy. Uh, but the, but there is a little bit of playmaking to him. There's a, it looks like the game has slowed down. Um, just because I do remember reading stuff, I think Brooks was talking about how he wasn't, kind of wasn't ready. Um, and, and when he met, I think he said that. Just I don't think he said the game was too fast. I think he just said he doesn't really know how to handle the NBA pace and speed yet. And it seems like for any young guy, once you kind of get a feel for the game, you're able to mentally it slows you down physically, which is a positive thing. I mean, what you want to do is you don't want to play up and down 100 miles per hour all the time. For some guys it works, like Russell Westbrook and et cetera, et cetera. But for certain guys, slowing down the mind allows you to slow down the body. And what what happens there is you're able to, like you said, dictate pace. You're able to kind of get to your spots. You're able to get teammates to their spots and get them to ball. And I thought he did a good job of that. Um I want to watch a few more games now just because I was intrigued by him coming out of the draft and then with him not playing much as a rookie, I kind of faded away. But seeing him today, um, I'm going to at least uh, check in on my Wizards highlights to see what, what Troy Brown does for their at least for the next couple weeks for sure. Wow, checking in on your Wizards highlights. That's a dedicated NBA man right there. And, uh, I mean, come on. It's not it's not much different than what I, I get paid to watch. So <laughs> it's uh, it's it, it, it could be worse. That's true. Um, plug, but James is incredible at his job. So even if you're not a Pistons fan, even if you don't care about the Pistons, you should read his stuff because he is uh, one of the board members of Weird Story Idea NBA <laughs> Beat Writer Club and has incredibly creative ideas. And executes on them as well as any other beat writer in the industry. So you should you should follow James's stuff. You should read it. He does an incredible job. Um, anything big um, that you're working on right now, or that that you've already done recently that you wanna that you want to uh, plug? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I appreciate that as a as a fellow board member of the Quirky Stories Club. You're I mean, I've, I've told you this all the time. I love what you do, Fred. Like, guys like you and Cato and Cosmider, and I could go on and on, do great stuff that make me want to keep up. And it's tough, as you're finding out, to cover um, a not-so-good basketball team or a team that people don't really care about outside of your city, and you have to find ways to get eyes on your work and the quirky stuff that you do and, and like, your attention to detail is great. Like, I... Your passing story uh, last year was on. Was that on? It was on John. Um, was that your? Did you kick off the year with that story? It was. It was in the first week of the season. Yeah, yeah. and I and season. I think you guys, you guys being uh, you and Candace, the, the beat writers. I think you, Washington was in Detroit early that year, like maybe around the day that story dropped, and it was phenomenal. Like, yeah. So I appreciate you um, to plug. I guess the story, if you want to check out, uh, like right now my pin tweet is I did an oral history on how in the hell the Pistons got teal jerseys. Um, as somebody who was, I always liked those teal jerseys and other people hated them. I one day just kind of woke up like, why did they even have those jerseys? And was able to find out how it happened. So yeah, if you go to my Twitter, JL Edwards, I, 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 it's a pin tweet and that's a, that's a good place to start. Great. And check out James's work. Subscribe to Wizards After Dark on iTunes and where you listen to podcasts. Give us five stars. Leave a review, like I always say. The review always helps more than you would think. Um, sign up for The Athletic. You can listen to the bonus episodes. You can get all my coverage. You can get 
now that the Nationals are done, you can start getting David Aldridge's NBA coverage because he's going to jump back over to NBA more now, and Michael Lee, and Ben Standig, and James, and the rest of our NBA team, and MLB team, and you know everything else, NFL, NHL, WNBA, everything. So you sign up for that. You can go to theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. You can get 40% off an annual subscription. Again, that's theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. 40% off an annual subscription. Uh, ends up coming out to like $36 for the entire year, and you get everything. And uh, we have an incredible team. I mean, yeah. I have to say, I our baseball coverage is ridiculous. It is it is absurd. I love our NBA team. Our NBA team is ridiculous. But if I say that, people think I'm just saying it because that's my job and that's the team that I'm part of. But our baseball coverage, and and I I just can't speak as well to the football coverage and to the hockey coverage and everything else because baseball is the sport that I read as like a fan. Man, yeah. our baseball coverage is incredible. Like Peter Gammons, Jason Stark, Ken Rosenthal. Joe Pesnanski, Mark Carrig, Andy McCullough. It's it's ridiculous. It's it's very good. And I am your baseball love for me is the equivalent I'm a huge soccer fan. So and we just added Premier League coverage. Like if you're one of those Americans like myself who is a diehard Premier League fan, we have you covered on that too. And I think once they got that, like once we got that, I was like I almost subscribed again. Like because I don't know where to get Premier League coverage from. Like, I, you could go Google stuff. I don't know what's legit and what's not. Like, I'm not from the U.K., but now I know that we have it. It's what I want. Every team, if you're a soccer fan in America, like, there's nothing that you won't go. You'll, you won't go without missing anything. I, I'll just say that. It's still Wizards After Dark. I'm tired. I'm sorry, Fred. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go, but this podcast is not over. Stay on. If you did not listen to my interview with Justin Kutcher from over, from I guess that ran on Friday, if you did not listen to that, stay on. And I'm going to play about 10 minutes of it right now, and, and you can listen and decide for yourself. And remember, you can go on The Athletic, and you can sign up, and you'll be able to get the bonus episodes and everything else. Uh, James, thanks for coming on, man. Man, thank you for having me as always. Yeah, appreciate it. Now let's uh, head into that interview. Like yeah, some, uh, some of the best play-by-play calls ever are when guys just go silent and you let yeah. everybody just absorb what the heck is going on. And that's and that's what I learned, you know, from Joe Buck was just watching him for all the years that I did stats for him. Um, in the biggest moments, he hit it and then just got out. And you know, it, I, I've learned nothing I can say will have more impact than what the crowd is doing. So I had a game two years ago. We did the baseball game in Puerto Rico where it was the Indians against the Twins. And Francisco Lindor hit this home run in his home country um, after the hurricane had hit the year before. And the place went nuts. And I literally laid out for over a minute. Like, I I mean, I, I, I called the home run. I let him go around the bases. The emotion... Our director was awesome. Um, he's the director for the World Series, and and I just let the pictures do everything because what was I going to say that was better than these fans just going absolutely insane for their hometown hero? So what was the worst sports childhood moment of your life? Oh, that's easy. Um, my 11th birthday uh well you're talking about my personal sports moment or as a fan as you know what let's i was thinking as a fan but now that you've expanded the question i'm gonna go either okay well actually it's funny because they they kind of coincide um on my 11th birthday i was always like a shortstop and um for some reason that that day my coach had me come in to try to close out the game and i wasn't a pitcher i knew i wasn't a pitcher um, but he just was going to have me finish the game. So we were up by one. Um, leadoff man got on base. The next guy goes to bunt, and he bunts it right back to me. So me being a shortstop, I turn to throw the ball to second to get the lead runner, throw it in the center field, and the kid comes around to score, tie game. Next guy comes up, 
punts the ball back to me. What do I do? Same thing. Threw the ball in the center field, and we lost. Um, my my mom came to the game. My dad came straight from work. So I could have gone home with either one. I went home with my dad. I got into the car with my dad on my 11th birthday, and the first thing he says is, well, that was stupid. And he was right. So fast forward 10 years later, um, 2001 World Series, Game 7, and the Yankees are playing the D-backs. Mariano Rivera bunt back to him. He throws to, to second. Ball gets away, and, and that was it. As soon as he did it, I, I, I had these flashbacks to my 11th birthday, and I knew the Yankees were going to lose, and it was awful. So I would say those two, and then 1995, when the Yankees lost to the Mariners, um, Don Mattingly was my favorite baseball player of all time. And having the Yankees lose that series and no, knowing that was the end for Mattingly, um, that one I definitely cried out. I can't believe you threw that ball away. Not once, but twice. Oh. I'm a dumbass. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. You know, I always, I always say this. Physical mistakes are going to happen. Mental mistakes cannot happen. And I did not learn from my first physical mistake. So the second mistake was a mental one. And, yeah, I was stupid. Does your dad still give you crap? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I come from a family of straight shooters. So um, we won't sugarcoat anything. We'll call you out. You know, if you make a, if you make a boneheaded decision, you make a boneheaded move. And uh, I own it. You know, I, I – I, it it still bugs me to this day. <laughs> I my eleventh birthday sucked because of it. <laughs> I know what you mean. When I was in high school, there was a throw to first base. I was I was playing first, and there was a little dribbler hit to the pitcher. He picked it up. He threw it first. He threw it right at my chest, and this had never happened to me in a game before. Just for whatever reason, he threw it right to my chest, and the ball just popped out of my glove. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it happen to major leaguers very seldomly. It's happened to Greg Bird twice, I've noticed. Mm-hmm. Because whenever I see somebody miss a ball, Albert Pujols did it once. Whenever I see somebody just miss miss a ball like that, just like a perfect throw, and they just miss it at first, I think about that moment and my coach flipping out at me uh, <laughs> after the inning, pulling me to the side, my high school coach, and pulling me to the side and screaming, that's bullshit if we're up 10, it's bullshit if we're down 10, and it's bullshit now. And I know every time it happens in a major league game, because any time anyone who was on that team with me sees it happen, they they take the highlight, they text, they text it to me, <laughs> and then they say, this is bullshit if you're up 10, it's bullshit if you're down 10, and it's bullshit now. That's awesome. <laughs> So, well, good. What's not bullshit is you'll never forget it. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I, I, when I am when I am 107 years old, whatever technology I'm watching baseball on, then somebody will drop a ball, and I will think, oh, I remember 85 years ago when that happened to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that will be a thing. It'll 100% be a thing. So, how have you've done uh, four Wizards games that matter in the preseason? Mm-hmm. What yep. what has been what has surprised you about the job? Well, I'm sure you went in with expectations. What what hit you so far that that you didn't realize was going to happen? Um, I, I don't know if it's about the job that surprised me. It's it's more just how lucky I am with the group of guys on the team, the coaching staff, the front office, obviously our production crew. But I got so lucky. I mean. The team, the players are so easy to deal with. Uh, the biggest surprise to me was showing up before training camp began. Um, Tommy Shepard, the GM, I asked him when I came up here in August, uh, you know, what's a good time for me to start coming, you know, to be around the guys and for everybody to get to know me. And he's like, if you can get there before camp, you know, open gym, like that would be good. I'm like, all right, I was going to come up. October 1st, I'll now come up September 15th. And they were there every day. 20 guys were there every day, the day after Labor Day until training camp began. And I just saw the way they played, um, the hustle. I was watching different players and, and, and I noticed the depth. And I, and I said to some people, I'm like, this team's going to surprise you. 
Like, they're going to play hard. They're going to play really hard. They're going to be in games. I don't know how many games they're going to win, but they're going to surprise you, and you're going to really enjoy watching them. And that's what has happened. You know, first game of the preseason, they fall behind early. They claw, they, they crawl back into it. Um, first game of the regular season, they fall behind against Dallas, and they fight back in. They beat Oklahoma City. Uh, they closed that game on, I think, a 14-2 run. Against San Antonio, what a finish that was. Last night, they fell behind by, by 10 multiple times. And, and they come back, and they, they almost won that game. And what I, I look at this team, and Fred, I know you're a big Yankees fan, and I see similarities with this group with, like, the Yankees of, like, 2017 in the sense that you had this young group of, of players together, a young core. And there weren't these high expectations. And all of a sudden, they made a run. I'm not saying this team is going to make a run to the playoffs and this and that. But what I am saying is that they're building a foundation. And they're building a, a culture that I think is really healthy. And I believe the fans are going to truly love. Because it's a culture in where you're not going out and you're piecing together a team by grabbing that free agent and that free agent and this free agent. You're getting guys who are all young who can grow together. And when you look at this team right now and, and Beal signing, signing his two-year contract extension, I love Rui Hachimura. I loved him in college. I love him right now. I think the fans and the NBA are going to fall in love with him. You get Troy Brown Jr. back last night. You saw what he did. Um, Isak Bonga, what he's done. I mean, people didn't expect anything out of him, and he started the first four games. Mo Wagner on that second unit, Isaiah Thomas, Thomas Bryant. Um, I mean, uh, uh, Davis Bertans. This team has depth that, that, that's young, that can grow together. I was talking to people after the game last night, and to me, they're like the baby wizards. And they're going to grow together, and you can grow with the, with, with the fans and, and develop something great, develop that relationship um, that you crave and, and makes you go crazy to cheer for them. Um, and I think that's what you're going to see this year. I think fans are going to get behind this team because of how hard they play and how they never give up. Um, I think it's just going to continue that trend of what we're seeing recently with D.C. sports teams. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed the episode with James. And if you enjoyed that little snippet of my interview with Justin, there's a 45, 50-minute podcast up on theathletic.com, which you can listen to on your athletic app. You can listen to over on the website and our podcast player. All you have to do is make sure you're a subscriber to The Athletic. And like I said, sign up for the website uh, at a 40% off discount at theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark, and you can get everything you need there. Thank you for listening. I will be back on Wednesday with another podcast. Uh, that's going to be a post-game show from Indianapolis, and that is also going to be subscription only, so it won't come through on your iTunes. You're going to need to be on theathletic.com in order to be able to get that or on your athletic app. I'll be back on Wednesday. I'll talk to you guys then.